and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast. One of the very, very few podcasts in English exclusively dedicated to South America's greatest club competition. This week, myself and Mr. Oliver Wilson, well, we paid tribute to the late, great Diego Armando Maradona. We talked about all the first legs of the round of 16 in the Libertadores and uh, and plenty more besides. That was an enjoyable little chat, wasn't it, Oli? I have thoroughly enjoyed the comic ball of Tadoras coming back, let alone the conversation yep. around it as well. I I do feel I regret the start of the podcast. I think I went too much on the less feelings, more facts on the Maradona passing. Passing. I, f- I feel well, I was too I was too kind of straight down the middle on it. And, it, you know, it's a legend of football, but. Yeah, I got no, into I think <laughs> I think I mean you, the first, one of the first things you said to me, Ollie, was it would have been a you know a kind of more moving, fitting, beautiful tribute if they'd have played that game. So I don't think I can see what you're saying. You know, you're talking about the the sheer logistics, which which are important, but also, um, you know, would he have wanted that game to go ahead? I don't know. It's, it's all speculation, but no, I think you're more than fair. And there was plenty of Wilson, uh, Windsor's uh, emotion to offset. Um, the cold well, heart. I don't. I didn't want any pandering. That's a, you know. I know. I know you're going to be more feelings over facts. Sure, so I thought sure, I'd go facts sure. over feelings. Try and find the balance. That's yeah. what we've got on this. <laughs> it's a nice seesaw. Uh, all right. Without further ado, enjoy the pod. <laughs> Redes to try and kill the tie off. The vital away goal in the first leg and the Libertadores group stage ceiling goal in the second. Back in and kept alive as well and rifles into the back of the net. Oh, that is just exquisite. Fidel Martinez, you are sensational. Um, like, listen, I was born in 1986, right? You were born in 87, 88? 88. 88. 88. Okay. Just a wee baby. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, young man. So we're not going to do that thing where we pretend that we saw Maradona play or that he, watching him play had this great influence over our lives, right? Because we didn't. Mm. Um, and all our reference points are articles and videos and kind of football folklore, if that's not too cheesy, uh, with Maradona. But at the same time, uh, you know, Ollie, you can see this on Zoom, but I have had that Hand of God uh, framed picture uh, since I was 19. So I've basically looked at a picture of Diego Maradona almost every day of my adult life, which is quite surreal, right? And, and it is mm. still, for me, the greatest football moment of all time. And that game, you, the combination of his obvious, ridiculous footballing genius and that complete brazen desire to win I just think it's just so genius and it's, it's it's my favorite football moment of all time and I think also having lived and worked in Argentina last year you do get a different sense of you know there's no other way of saying it like the, the poverty in South America is way more visible than perhaps if you if, if you live in Western Europe where, where we grew up so when you get a sense of that and the, the idea that Maradona kind of clawed himself out of that to and then you know to to go on and achieve the incredible success and and uh, domestic and worldwide adoration that he did is just amazing and yeah I, I love this quote I heard it on Hand of Pods and I think it was on the Bobby Robson documentary as well that a person only truly dies when the last person who loves them dies too and I just thought that is such a nice quote in the sense that you see the pictures out of Buenos Aires this week and. You know, we've got time. 
yeah, like we, we yeah, we we talking about you know we've talked to a lot of people on the ground in in Argentina who are kind of our age, Ollie. Uh, and and you know I think that that it just speaks volumes for what he did really that that um that what he did will resonate for for so long after his his death and and of course how this ties into the to the Copa Libertadores is that the uh, the Inter Boca game the, the first leg of that last sixteen clash was was postponed but yeah I mean your thoughts on on Maradona's passing Mr Wilson I thought um, I will say I thought cancelling the Boca game was probably the wrong thing to do that week I know Argentina's gone into three days of mourning. Um, I just think because of the we've we're already so compact just from an organizational standpoint and I don't I don't want to be too kind of emotionless in this because I know what he means to the people of Argentina to football in general to sport in general to a large extent with you know the New Zealand national rugby team presenting a Maradona shirt New Zealand rugby shirt with Maradona on the back before the game uh, against Argentina this weekend it shows that he you know he one of those few people that transcends the sport he is an icon that many people will be able to recognize perhaps for better for perhaps for worse but either way he was a global star and a global figure however we are at this congested point from a tournament organizing point of view which thankfully I don't have to do so and I actually think it would have been a great moment however awesome the tribute that Boca paid to him by a, a dark bombonera with that shining light coming out of his box at the Bombonera, I thought was was very touching. Um, but at the same time, I think you could have actually done something really poignant that evening, as uh, as we saw with Fiorentina uh, when their captain passed away a couple of years ago. And the first home game they had was one of the most moving uh, things you'll ever see at a football ground, where it was like a 34,000 seat a funeral almost it it was mm. quite incredible and touching and there was a there was definitely something that could have been done there by Boca Juniors in that sense which which okay. would have fit the moment um in terms of Maradona as a as a player as you say we we never really saw him live I think maybe I've seen it and I'm just thinking I remember it a little bit but the bulging eyes at the sure. World Cup in 94 is something that you know stands out because that was the first tournament that I can really remember as a kid um, uh, albeit very small p- patches of it. Uh, but it was Maradona or Pele growing up. And what's interesting of being in Argentina is when you ask anybody about Maradona or Messi, you know, most people our age and young will be like, well, it's Messi all the way. He's doing more impressive things in, in a more impressive time and he's physically fitter and has better control, etc. Whereas in Argentina, nobody can answer that question. Messi is eclipsing Maradona to an extent of what he's done on the pitch in terms, in terms of the of body of scored. work yeah yeah but in terms of and, and Gary Lineker said it wonderfully on on BT Sport this week really in terms did, of yeah. Maradona's genuine skill natural ability to be at one with the ball um to to deal with the horrendous conditions that were facing South American football Italian football at times and global football in terms of pitch conditions in terms of uh, the kind of crime controversies that went on through particularly his time in Italian football that were, that were linked to uh, Serie A and, and the links with the, the mafia and what was going on in Naples at the time um, and to do all of that and still come out and be the player that he was head and shoulders above the rest and anybody else around him and to be this like beloved son of Argentina it, it is a genuine sporting hero and a legend that that has passed away this week. You said, Ollie, to me on WhatsApp, you said it's almost kind of 
you almost look at the reaction in Argentine society towards the passing of Diego Maradona. And you're almost as a little bit of you that's jealous that we don't have someone within English or British culture that elicits that same, I was going to say affection, but it's way more than that, isn't it? It elicits that same incredibly uh, powerful response and and, it, and they don't and you know I, I think I was back and was like you know if David Beckham died or the Queen or mm. would we have that kind of reaction and frankly we wouldn't we just wouldn't like in in British society and I know there's a there's a different kind of um, you know we deal with things a little bit differently in Britain but I don't think it's too much of a stretch it's completely different but I don't think it's too much of a stretch to kind of make a comparison with with um, you know, Princess Diana's death. And I know that was a complete shock, whereas Diego Maradona's death wasn't a complete shock in many ways, sadly, because of his ill health. But but it's that, it's that kind of similar thing, if you want to relate it to, to how, a, how a country has mourned. Um, and yeah, yeah. It's on the verge of a deity, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he is, it's kind of funny, the, the hand of God, but he's seen on a, on a near godlike status by people in Argentina, both for the football and for, you know, he was such an icon in the country that people flocked to him because he was somebody that represented Argentina sure. on the global scale. He brought attention to their country, either good or bad, but he was, he was that, that icon that, that transcended the globe. So I yeah. just, I th- it, it's, it's not too far to say that he's almost on that, you know, he's on royalty status yeah. in Argentina for sure. And just some of the messages that I've got from people in Argentina this week, like people our age that even on WhatsApp audio have just sounded like they're close to tears, right? And I just, in some ways, I kind of envy that, that that they have that for someone that, that they never met ultimately, but that represents so much. It was interesting how when Kobe Bryant died in the helicopter crash earlier this year, um, back in back in what, late January, early February now. God, it's a long time ago. And I looked at um, some of the people in Los Angeles that I spoke to because I've got a few friends out there and and a couple of them were like really kind of, you know, he was somebody that the work ethic and the mentality that I just always wanted to try and be like. And I looked up to him so much for everything he did on the court and and they were kind of quite cut up about it. And at that point I was like, yeah, okay, like fair enough. I, I understand it so much more with Maradona, I think. Maybe because he was around longer, maybe because... Sure, football is a sport that I follow more, but I I I do really understand how that emotion is attached to somebody like him. Right, as for the games, Mr. Wilson, this week, it's a big, well, it's a big jump. You don't know, it's, <laughs> but it's not, is it? Though, because I was thinking, like life moves on and football always moves on and quickly right there's always games and and uh yeah i, I don't know it's 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 sad well, but it, f- football will always be the constant it's fitting that uh on the running order you're starting with racing club against flamengo because racing club playing in the blue and white at least of okay. so similar to the argentinian national team i'm trying to find the tenuous yeah. link to go from maradona sure, to uh, sure. the libertadores well um okay let's talk about it. so racing and flamengo Drew one apiece in in the first leg of this last sixteen clash. Ollie, if you didn't before we actually talk about anything that happened in the game, if you just look at that on paper, if you just woke up and just saw that result, could you say that's a good result for both sides? In the yeah, sense definitely. that in the sense that Flamengo got the away goal, they go back to the Maracanã and will really fancy themselves. But also for Racing, you know they can go to the Maracanã now, still totally in the tie, and it's ninety minutes. Is anything can happen? It's a free hit. Yeah, they've got Racing have got nothing to lose. They they've I don't want to say they've set their stall out and defended well enough because 
a at times during the game they weren't great defensively and b um I don't think they went out there really with a defensive mentality. They, at times they tried to give as good as they got during the 90 minutes of this first leg. But they, they have something that they can certainly hold on to and take, which I think would have maybe surprised some people because of how much we've built up Flamengo as as a footballing side on in the Copa Libertadores this year. I think one thing for me was just seeing that Bruno Henrique Gabby goal combination again for the for the Flamengo goal was just absolutely awesome and we haven't seen it much this year obviously the the tournament's been a bit stuttered with the way it's with the way it's happened but also because of injuries for both players and trans- a big year of transition for Flamengo but Bruno Henrique I mean we talked about him last week we talked about him so much last year that that go- the, the goal for Flamengo which came after the Racing goal um, just a couple of minutes after Racing scored. But Bruno Enrique just slit, it's that slip from second to fourth gear so easily. And then outside the right boot, just lays it on a platter for, for Gabby Gold to, to pop at home. And, you know, if nothing else on this Flamengo side, as you say, like defensively, they've got really big problems, I think. But that combination alone could see them defend the, t- the title. Gabriel Barbosa is nothing without Bruno Enrique. <laughs> oh, no, and, and, and I don't mean that as like hyperbole and like let's let's create a talking point or something like that. You mean he's nothing but, without an absolute creator around him to basically put it on, put it. Yeah, he will finish. He is, he is an out and out finisher yeah. and he will get into the right place at the right time most of the time. And he will most of the time put those chances away, as we saw last year in the final as well against River Plate. You know, he doesn't get many opportunities, but when he does, he takes them. But Bruno Enrique is just the wonderful artist that paints the picture for Flamengo's attacking football. He he pulls every string on the edge of the final third, and it was so evident in this game against Racing. The number of times that he would cut in and think about shooting, but then he'd recognise a run or perhaps see that the opportunity's not there and shift it back. And when he did shoot, he only took opportunities that were relatively clear in front of him. I think one rattled the frame of the goal. Uh, at one point, like curving it from the top left-hand corner of the 18-yard box and trying to pick out the far top corner. Uh, he is somebody that can carve open these defences, as we've said from time and time again on this podcast, of pace, quality and control, and the measurement of the pass. And as you say, the, the delivery with the outside of the boot, is it's actually it's so difficult to do that at pace, to get that perfect guide across the 18-yard box, not too yeah. close to the keeper, not too close to a defender, and right in the path of Gabriel Barbosa with the outside of the boot. Uh, it was a wonderful performance <laughs> from him. Quality. Um, Rassi scored just before Flamengo did to take the lead through for Tolly. Um, Flamengo's defensive problems, I mean, they miss Pablo Marie, Rodrigo Caio's injured, Thurla is kind of young and a bit reckless, got himself sent off on 82 minutes for a pretty high challenge. That's clearly going to be Flamengo's uh, Achilles heel this year in the Libertadores, but do you still back them to go through? You got um, to, don't you? Yeah, I think on home soil in Brazil, but I don't think it's going to be, particularly with the uh, the two sendings off as well. You know, Thula, however much he might be slightly reckless, like there's a reason why he's starting in this side. Yeah. So now suddenly Flamengo have to fill in replacements in an already fairly average back line. So it's going to be about firepower for them to get through. I mean, it's a similar, if we just move on now to Atletico Paranaense against River Plate, it's a similar kind of situation really on, 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 on the surface level of River have got the away goal, will take it back to Argentina and really fancy themselves. But at the same time, the Brazilians have got parity in the tie and, you know, who knows up at 90 minutes. So I, I, there's absolutely no doubt from seeing enough now of Flamengo and River this year that both sides are considerably weaker than they were 
in 2019. Flamengo because of Pablo Marie and they don't have Jorge Jesus and that consistency in River because, you know, three or four absolute quality players have been ripped out of that side the past 12 months. Um, and River, you know, they got in, in some ways, they, they, they did play quite well and Carascal hit the bar um, and they deserved uh, they deserved to 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 take something from from the tie going back to Argentina. But Paulo Diaz scoring late on the 90th minute after Bissoli had scored off to 57. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, this if if Cachada could take River to deep into the tournament this year, I think he's he's just done so well. Yeah, do you think you'd be a little frustrated from a River point of view with this game though? You know, playing for a large chunk of the second half with an extra man. Yeah, and and not. We expect River to play pretty good football, and I know they don't tend to on the road quite as much as when they do uh, on home soil. That's, I think you can say that with every single team in the sure. Copa Libertadores, and we don't need to go into the reasons for that. Um, but to be playing against an Atletico, Atletico Paranaense side, which certainly isn't, I don't think anybody really considered them to be one of the no, top no, echelon no. teams no. in this Libertadores campaign. To get a 1-1 result is fine, but to be playing against 10 men for almost half an hour and to get a 1-1 result thanks to a 90th minute equaliser. I think Gachado might be a little frustrated Maybe. with the result. Maybe, and, yeah. And it might be a, um, an element of perspective of how you look at this river result. You can look at it as they deserve to get something out of it, they fought till the end and got something out of it. Or you can look at it as, well, should they have actually got more out of it? And Atletico Paranaense will think, well, if we can sneak one at the Monumental, yeah. we've got a real good chance in the second leg. Yeah, I it, mean... Yeah, I mean, River had chances. It was interesting that Alvarez didn't start, actually, because he's been so, you know, he played really well in the group stages, scored four or five goals. And, uh, yeah, the fact that Gachado didn't start him away in Brazil, I thought was really interesting. You know, sometimes managers just don't quite have that complete trust in young players. I actually think he'll mm. start in the, in the return leg. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you still... I, I, I know what you're saying about should River have really taken advantage in that second half. They, they did have chances, but, you know, nonetheless, they are in, in pole position to, to go through to the quarterfinals. I'm interested to see how better sides, including Atletico Paranaense in the second leg, deal with this River side going deeper into the tournament. Because, as we've mentioned before, there hasn't been too much of a change over the last few years with either uh, the, the players available for Gachado and quite often, the setup of this uh, 4-4-2 with the kind of diamond midfield, mm. but Nico De La Cruz obviously really likes to drift out wide and push forward uh, Sosa at times as well. But it, sometimes I thought last year it was a bit too narrow. It, it doesn't feel quite as narrow this year, but I just wonder if the tactics maybe do need a little bit of a change up and a refresh just to kind of keep other teams on, on their toes as well. And we've seen we've seen him experiment in the league, Gachado with different formations and try a few different things, particularly at the end of the last campaign. Um, I'd just be interested to see if, if they do switch styles around at all, perhaps in the second leg or, or going further and deeper into this tournament to, to prevent things from being too static. Yeah, and I just wonder if, you know, he played Nacho Fernandez in behind Borre and Suarez. And I wonder whether he just, if he plays Alvarez, then is it kind of too attacking away from home? That That's the only thing I thought. Um, Oli, I know from the start you've been... Well, you were very impressed with Palmeiras during the group stages. The Green Giant scored 17 goals in the groups. Absolutely dismissed Delphine 3-1 away from home. They're as good as in the last eight of the competition. When we talk about River and Flamengo not being as strong as last year, Palmeiras are as strong, if not better, than they were last year. Well, I think they are better than last year. Maybe they're favourites, you know? I, I, they probably don't want to be favourites. 
I think okay. that's one of the nice things about Palmeiras this year is that as soon as they're labelled with the favourite, I, I, it's it's very difficult when you're built up to stay at that level of being built up. It's far easier to come from nowhere and cause cause upsets. I do think not having big Phil Scolari there might be a benefit, not because of his inability to organise a side, pick the correct lineup, or anything like that. And obviously we saw Palmeiras last year as well had that massive collapse in the Brazilian league domestically which kind of set the tone for the second half of the Commonwealth Libertadores campaign for them as they, as they crashed out uh, in the knockout stages last year. But also, again, you don't have like a big Brazilian icon, uh, you know, a guy who's managed the national team, which is what, you know, so much of the attention will go into for, for large chunks of the year in Brazilian football. You don't have that figurehead in front of you with the expectation of being a big club with the big manager. Um, and that, that's not to belittle Abel Fernando Moreira Ferreira, which... It's a wonderful name, four names, but rolls off the yeah. tongue very nicely, thankfully. Um, and they they looked so relaxed in this tournament. I mean, I spoke to somebody, a couple of people in the, a couple of journalists from the States um, watched this game over Thanksgiving, the kind of holiday season. Nice. And they said Palmeiras are one of the easiest on the eyes teams in South American football that they've watched, albeit they don't watch much South American football, but they said it was just a joy to watch them tear apart Delphine, who, who didn't have a chance in this, aside from the own sure. goal. Nothing, really. Disappointing as well. Dolphin, by the way. A dolphin on their logo, but from Manta. Well, <laughs> surely it'd be better. Yeah, yeah. Surely it'd be Sort it out, Dolphin. Come on. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think Palmeiras... I mean, yeah, they've they got loads of quality. Gabriel Menino scored. I know he's really highly rated. Ronnie's just so lively. Ronnie, yeah. So lively. He's got that tiny kind of busy... He's so busy. He's, he's a really fun player to watch. And... Um, yeah, listen, Palmeiras are pretty much through to the quarterfinals. Liga de Quito Santos. You you do realise you've just set it up for like the incredible comeback for Delphine to get. I, they, you know how <laughs> when you sometimes say in voiceover stuff or commentary that they need a minor miracle and you just put the word yeah. minor in there because you don't want to say miracle because it's not a miracle if they go to Brazil and win 3-0, is it? That's not a miracle. Like, you know, water into wine's a miracle. That's not a miracle. So you just say minor miracle. Uh, but yeah, I do yeah. think they need a, a, a very large minor miracle. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> Liga de Quito Santos. Surprising. Um, very surprising. Only for how kind of limp Liga de Quito looked compared to what I think I was expecting out of them. Um, Johan Julio with the goal for them um, just before half time to try to pull them level on the night for a brief moment, if you will, before Santos found their winner in the second half. But dis- really disappointing because w- we've said throughout the last 18 months doing this that Liga de Quito defending on home soil is their bread and butter. They didn't do it against Boca last year in the knockout stages of the Libertadores and that's what cost them. That's what got them ejected from the tournament yep. was was caving in on home soil in the first leg. It might be happening what around earlier this year. Uh, with the loss to Santos, because I'd find it difficult to see them going to Brazil and getting a result. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, this Santos side's not particularly a side maybe that you look at and think could, could go all the way, but they've got quality. And Akayo George is, uh, is just a teenager still leading the line. So Teldo uh, scored for them to, uh, to to open it up and Marino made it made it 2-1 after, as you mentioned, Julio's, Johan Julio's uh, equaliser. But... So Soteldo's kind of the the key for them, Jefferson Soteldo. Yeah, he's, he's, a good he's the one. He's the he's the kind of Bruno Henrique of Santos, like a poor man's Bruno Henrique, but <laughs> sure, still, sure. but still, they're they're kind of number ten creative. Um, 
if you can shut him down and and prevent him from kind of taking a grasp of the game on the edge of the final third, then you've got a good chance to get Santos. But it just wasn't able to happen. And scoring after seven minutes, it's the worst possible opening ten that Liga de Quito could have had. So, Guarani Gremio, Mister Wilson. Now I know. Well, I yeah. think I think you need to get on this one because Club Guarani was your. <laughs> The new Olympia, wasn't it? Yeah, and before the new that, the new Barcelona when I got carried away with them in the, <laughs> the rounds of qualification. Um, Gremio just really fascinates me. We know that Everton uh, was sold to Benfica, but they've still got loads and loads of quality. And I just, I, I'm always fascinated by any level of consistency in South American football because, as we know, it's just such an absolute rarity to have a manager stay more than two or three years, to have consistent uh, success either domestically or, or on the continent. And the fact that their boss, Renato Gaucho, has overseen Gremio reach at least the semi finals in the last three years, he won it as a player with Gremio. He, you know, he, he's won it as a manager with Gremio in 2017. And this Gremio side, yeah, I mean, Guarani will get onto them in, in just a moment. But OK, Everton's, Everton's gone. But they've got three players that I really like. Pepe, who's not dissimilar to Ronnie in the, in the way he plays. Yeah. They've got Jean-Pierre, who's just a kind of a really classy operator. He's got that kind of language style. Uh, scored an absolutely lovely goal uh, to open the scoring. And Mateus Enrique, who's really, really uh, highly rated, who just kind of knits everything together in the centre of the park. So they still got good players. Um, Guarani, you know, I think the disclaimer should be, Oli, if they're not going to play Big Bad Bobber, then I can't be responsible for my predictions. Like, all of my predictions with Guarani, they're based on Big Bad Bobber leading the line and yep. little Rodney Redders running around, running around him, right? And they were both on the bench. So the, the, most, the most baffling starting 11 choices that I've seen um, and I'm not going to say that I've ever seen or anything, <laughs> but I cannot understand why you're taking on a, a giant like Gremio on home soil where you probably need to make sure you, you stamp home some sort of advantage to give yourself a chance to go to Brazil and try and pick them off and you're not playing the most physical centre forward that you've got who can hold up play if you do need to sit back because you know that Gremio will probably still come at you because they have the quality to hold possession and attack away from home, particularly against a Paraguayan outfit like Guarani. And Rodney Redes, who you need to be one of those bodies that's flying forward to support the attack. They've been by far the two most pivotal figures in creating chances for Guarani in this tournament uh, throughout the whole of it so far. And... And for those for them to be left on the bench and then brought on in the second in the second half, I don't I don't understand the decision at all. Um, and and you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot at that point. It doesn't help that you obviously go down uh, to ten men late on as well, so you lose uh, Jorge Morel uh, for the second leg. But as you said, I, and I think Jean Pierre is somebody went, which you highlighted of of how frustrating he was last year. Yeah, with. He was meant to be the guy to support Everton so much when he was dragging them, kicking and screaming through, and he never really quite had it. And he seems almost like he's taken on the onus of responsibility a lot more. And you sometimes see that when a big player sure. leaves a club, other players do step up. And I just wonder if maybe that's actually benefited him. Um, and obviously he's got the safety net of uh, Matthias Enrique behind him. But Jean-Pierre's gone and become a number 10 in the last 12 months. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, you do see it sometimes, don't you? When 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 you've got a kind of a standout star play, you just kind of give the ball to him and, and hope something happens. And invariably, it did with mm. with Everton. But he's gone now. And also, this is I should say, this is the quarter of the draw. This Liga de Quito against Santos and Guarani against Gremio. This is the weakest quarter of the draw in the sense that there's no absolute giant in it, in the way there is the rest of the draw. So, you know, 
you, you could be looking at a Gremio Santos quarterfinal and an incredible opportunity for one of those two to get to the semi-finals of the Libertadores this year. Yeah, and I think they would both be very pleased with that. They would both fancy a, a chance against, you know, better the devil you know kind of thing yeah. to to get through that. And uh, yeah, well, we'll we'll see. If, if Gremio, how do you rate Renato Gaucho compared to Gachado and what he's been able Mate, to do? I was just about to bring Gachado into that conversation, unusually. No, just because <laughs> it always gets talked about his incredible achievement of X amount of, you know, so many finals and five years of trophies and finals and, 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 and just incredible, you know, doing so well. But why isn't Renato Gaucho, he has never managed in Europe. Why isn't he, he should be, right up there as part of the conversation to manage in Portugal or Spain, I would say. There's absolutely no reason. I know Gachado's early 40s and uh, Renato Gaucho's late 50s, but late 50s really in management isn't any age at all these days. And if you can take Gremio to the semis again this year, that is a CV that says in the biggest club competition in South American football, I took my football club to the semifinals or better in, you know, in four consecutive years, which... um. Especially if he does it this year, having lost, yeah. without a yeah, doubt, yeah, their yeah, best yeah, player yeah. in the whole yeah. squad, the the player that everybody has felt that they rely on. To do it again, to get yeah. into the, the top four in, in not only the biggest club competition on the continent, but arguably the toughest club competition on the planet. 100%. In terms of the, the travel and everything. So, yeah, yeah, it is um, it is interesting, except that there's just, I don't know, does the lack of consistency perhaps domestically not favour him? I know River aren't always vying for a title every season under Gachado either and it's all about the Libertadores for a lot of these big sides but you know the Brazilian league is it's mad it is. Brazilian football domestically yeah, well, it's just so many games it's crazy <laughs> but I mean outside looking in Ollie you know if you're a, a club in Portugal I don't think you'd be you'd be factoring in what he did in Brazil so much um, mm. but yeah, you just never know what's going on maybe he has absolutely no intentional desire to, to move his life to Europe so you don't know. And Gremio is his club, you know, won it as a player there. So, so you know, in some uh, we're all always guilty, aren't we, of kind of being like, well, why isn't he in Europe? Why doesn't he go to Europe? As if Europe is like the be-all and end-all of happiness and success if you're in any way related to football. Whereas the fact is, like, mm. he could easily turn around and be like, hang on, I'm managing, like, the football club that I started my career at, that I won the Libertadores at, that I won it again with a manager. Why wouldn't I stay here where I'm absolutely adored and try and win it again? And ironic, this is the kind of thing, actually, that I get really annoyed about when it doesn't happen in European football, when people are like, no, I need to go to a bigger club. And it's like, no, why don't you stay at the club that's brought you through, yeah. uh, Jack Robwell, <laughs> and stay at Everton? I'm not even an Everton fan, but it's just like, why would you just sit and take the money at Man City on the bench, Scott Sinclair, when you actually had a career that could have got you into the national team playing regular first team football? Why would you bugger off just for the sake of maybe getting a bit more cash for a manager, it might be slightly different because of the test of can I prove myself against European football. But I think it's great if if you know if you want to stay, if your heart is with that club. Mm. I admire that more to an extent. Yeah, and it's rarer, isn't it? I mean, it's it's much rarer to be like absolutely adored at one club. You know, loads of players uh, go to a, a quote unquote better, more successful club. Quick bang, 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 win a couple of trophies. It's not. I know that it looks great in the cabinet, but it's not. It's not the same as being completely adored. So, yeah. um, and managers in Brazil, there's I think they're there's 34 managers in Brazil and they all just rotate around <laughs> the top tier clubs every six months yeah, or so. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, mind-boggling the lack sure. of uh, time that some of these guys spend in the job at different clubs. So, 
Yes, if you've got a job and they're happy for you to stay on, I'd hold on yeah, to it for absolutely. a fair bit. Um, <laughs> the last two uh, games of, of the round of 16, obviously, cast uh, putting Inter against Boca on pause for a moment. Um, Libertad beating Jorge Wilstermann 3-1. Really good result for them. That late goal really deep into stoppage time, just giving them that two-goal cushion. I know they've got to go to Bolivia in the second leg, but Libertad in, in, in great shape there to qualify. Uh and then just kind of wrapping these two games up in one, maybe. Independiente and Avai, uh, goalless draw against Nacional. Um, you said, Oli, last week that IDV would squeeze through. And mm. they had a lot of the ball. They had loads of chances. It was actually a good game for a nil-nil. You still back them to go to Uruguay and, and, and do that, get to the quarterfinals? I tell you what, they'll be kicking themselves if they don't. Had lots of chances, didn't they? They will absolutely kick. Was, I think uh, I sent you the, the tweet, didn't yeah. I? It was... The most chances in a Libertadores game without scoring, something like 38 attempts on goal. And it's like that, if you can't finish those those chances, sure. those opportunities on home soil. Look, I, I'm wearing the shirt right now, Dave. Yeah? <laughs> I'm sporting their club colours at this point. But you don't deserve to go through if, uh, if, you, if you waste those opportunities. And Nacional, to their credit, have turned up in Ecuador knowing it's going to be difficult knowing that they are probably going to be under the cosh a bit because we know that this Independiente Del Valle side can play good football going forward and can cut open defences at times. And they've they've weathered a storm for 90 minutes. It's the best possible result, I think, you could have asked for a side that don't really score sure. that often, Nacional. So if they back on home soil with the travel, with everything that's going on uh, globally right now, it's a great result for the Uruguayans. It, it's really tough when a side loses their bottle to back them to go away from home and make amends goal scoring wise in the Copa Libertadores for and, me I just find it very difficult and that's a long trip as well eh Montevideo mm. to, to Ecuador that's a long old trip um, it was interesting because Pejarano the IDV captain who's kind of plays in the same way that he talks Oli in control experience wise head but even in the post-match interview he was saying like I cannot believe we didn't win that football match by two or three goals you know we, we it's crazy that we didn't win that match uh uh, very, very comfortably. So, so there you have it. And then Libertad Jorge Wilson. It's always great that inevitably the quarterfinals is always going to be dominated by Argentine and Brazilian clubs. And this year, um, probably the same. But at least you have, you definitely have one outside of that uh, that's going to take their place in the quarterfinals. And at the moment, it looks like Libertad. Yeah, it's it's the kind of the heartbreak for a Bolivian side once again that have managed to find their way into the knockout stages, and then they just get absolutely outclassed. Um, but look. Away in Bolivia's the cliche, you know, it's probably the South American <laughs> equivalent of a midweek at yeah. Stoke on a rainy, windy night kind yeah. of thing. You know, can you go to La Paz sure, and sure. face the altitude and get a, and get yeah. a victory? So it, it's not completely over, um, particularly with the away goal leaves Jorge Wilson with a with a chance, but a two nil victory over Libertad. It's doable, but I, I don't see it. Bolivian football always always has been for like the last five six years or so. Uh, just that cut off yeah the rest of the continent yeah. and it was really interesting there was um you know somebody we work with tim vickery actually had a big long speech about this when asked about bolivian football and he said part of it is to just do with the fact that they don't grow as physically big sure. and strong in bolivia so it's very easy to get muscled off that's why the the home legs for bolivian sides are so important in international or in continental competition or or um yeah, or the or the national team. It's 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 so important. So there there is a chance still, but it, it, 
it's fleeting. And if they get through, the, they're not getting through the quarterfinals. Really interesting. They're just not a great football No, no, side. no, they're not. Um, you've got the possibility just looking at the draw that, you know, that top half of the draw could be all Brazilian, really. Could be a Gremio Santos quarterfinal at the top. An Inter, I know they haven't even played yet. <laughs> One minute of the Inter Boca. But it could be an Inter Flamengo. Uh, uh, do, you, yeah. do you think the everything around Maradona with Boca is that pressure that this Boca side buckle under because I said to you immediately like the narrative now is Boca win it and they win it for Maradona I mean if if you were Conmebol and wanted to fix a tournament for the best story this would be the best story that you'd, you'd make sure took place but do you think that's a pressure that because we've seen the in Argentinian football in general when there's a lot of pressure on somebody there is a, a wilting at times. You know, you look at River last year in the in the league title, look yeah. at the Argentinian national team uh, on numerous occasions at World Cups. You know, when that hype builds up around somebody, there is a, a sense to not live up I to I know it. what you're saying, but I just think it... Maradona passing is, is something that's... It, of course, it's a football story, but it kind of transcends the sport in the way that I, I don't think it's quite... I don't think there'll be additional pressure on Boca, Boca Juniors this year to win the Libertadores. There's always pressure on them to win it because they're one of the biggest sure. clubs on the continent. I just think, if anything, Ollie, it could even go the other way and be like, well, this has just been the craziest, chaotic, most bizarre year for so many reasons. And, you know, obviously they'll still want to win it, but maybe they'll sense that a, a bit of pressure's come off. But um, I, no, I don't think it sways it either way. Unless they win it and then it's like, oh, it was meant to be. And then, then the narrative fits what actually happened, right? <laughs> but uh, well, we'll have that in the next podcast <laughs> in a week's time. You can say that and then we'll we'll build it from there. We've got a copy of each one that we can put exactly. out. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I think we've kind of gone through our predictions, really. Is, is there anything, Ollie, from that round of 16 that you think... Is there any any second leg that you think might cause an upset? You mentioned maybe Jorge, Jorge Wilstermann at home. Yeah, that I mean, that's, that's to me the more likely of the majority of them. You know, the Independiente del Valle against Nacional one is wide open. Um, and, and I'm not going to pretend that I, I know more, like so much that I would be sure. able to say one or the other are going to get, a, you know, it's a goalless after the first leg. Everything's on the table. Um but when you when you look at the other ones, you'd back Gremio to to finish off the job. You'd probably back Santos to do it on home soil as well after getting a solid victory away from home. Flamengo Racing, as we already said, it's difficult to see Racing going to Brazil and, and getting a victory. I mean, River Plate. Yeah, I mean, I think both River and Flamengo, mate. I, I think, like, I think both of them are going to go through, but they they won't be. It's tough. Like it's re- both of those mm. sides are definitely, definitely weaker than what we saw last year. Definitely, I think in many ways last year was kind of a uh, a real rarity to have that Flamengo side that was so good, and then against uh, yeah. a River side that weren't as good individually or collectively, but but had such a, a consistency and a, a kind of self confidence about them because um, of what they've won over the last five years. So I mean, I, I, I think you might not see that again for years and years and years in South American football, but. Um, I don't think there's any reason for, for Racing or Atletico Paranaense to be worried. You know, to be scared, to think, oh, we're going to get beat 5-0 in, in, in Buenos Aires or, or Rio. Uh, I think for Racing as well, they're such underdogs, as we kind of touched on earlier. They were um, already when the draw was made. So, to they've as you said, I think you said it, they've got a free hit. They can go to Brazil. They can play whatever style of football they want to. Nobody should be on their back too much, regardless of the result, um, unless... 
unless they sit far too deep and invite Flamengo on and, and really don't put up a fight, that would that would be very disappointing. But in general, yeah, I think I think Racing have probably got the kind of the freest hit of all of them. Atletico Paranaense, I think River would be devastated to go out to one of the far weaker Brazilian sides. And I think I think Oli, they've confirmed or nearly confirmed that the final will be on the thirtieth of January, um, the thirtieth of January, twenty twenty one, of course. Uh, and it just just that you alluded to it earlier with the the fact that Inter Boca was postponed. It does create a situation, if you look at the calendar, where there's not many free weeks to squeeze that game. And I think, based on my kind of... And you, you never know with South American football where they're going to be playing the games. But I think they might end up playing uh, the second leg of the court of that quarterfinal about two days before Christmas. You know, I think they play, might play on the 21st, 22nd, something like that, of December. Because that is a free, quote-unquote, free week. Um, yeah, the... Uh, yeah, 23. The week of the twenty third, yeah. yeah. Well, that what would be the games would I guess 20, start on the twenty. Yeah, well, it would just be the one, yeah. yeah, just just that, obviously from. So yeah, but I mean yeah. that would be quite surreal, right? If, if that ended up being at the Bombonera like late December, which you don't really see many games played uh, in South America, just to, just on yeah, Christmas it'd week. be. Could you get like a a blue and yellow Santa outfit? Would look pretty great, <laughs> and that is like peak the... Argentine summer as well, and that's like thirty degrees yeah. at night kind of thing. So um, it would be fascinating. But uh, there we have it. All aboard the second legs next week, Mister Wilson. Indeed, I um, I hope I'm right with everything I've said. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I think. That's just a good. I, uh, that's this... just a good thing to say in life generally. Like I hope everything yeah. I've said up until this point, I hope I was largely correct about. Oh, I know I haven't been correct on many things, but I, th- I think I'd take a, in life, I'd take a 60-40 split up to this okay. point. In, in the Libertadores, I'd like to be a little bit higher, okay. but we'll see. So he's more confident about his knowledge of the Libertadores than he is about his overall ability in life. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Mate, I've been dialed into this for 18 months. Sure. Life I've dipped in and out of quite a bit, to be honest. There have been long stretches where, I, you know, lockdown, everybody got a little looser at times. Nice. <laughs>